And now, Spotlight Montana with Laurel Staples. A surge in COVID-19 cases, hospitals filling up, mask requirements being revisited. All this just as students prepare to go back to school for in-person learning. So what do parents need to know to keep their kids safe and healthy in the classroom? In this Spotlight Montana, critical information you need to know. So Dr. Wilson, uh, describe what you're seeing right now. What's happening out there? Describe the situation. So we're starting to see in most of Montana's counties that we have either substantial or high transmission of COVID. And so that means that we're seeing case numbers increase. Um, we're seeing more um, adults and kids in the hospital with COVID related problems. And the same in Billings, is, is it similar? Yes, we're definitely seeing an increase in um, COVID cases. An interesting thing is we're also seeing an increase of all respiratory illnesses that we typically only see in January and February, but we were all masking and doing a really good job with our social distancing. And as that has ended, we're starting to see quite a few respiratory illnesses on top of COVID. What concerns you the most about what's happening right now? For me, looking at other parts of the country, Montana is in somewhat of an advantage because we're a little behind our curve than everybody else. And so we can look to the south as far as what can, should concern us. And down south, they're having significant increase in hospitalizations in kids, which is something we did not see with the previous waves. We're definitely seeing that Delta is spreading amongst kids. It's more contagious. And we're starting to see more and more hospitalizations. And then as I referenced earlier, we're also seeing more respiratory illnesses. And so we're having a combination of kids that are filling hospitals with both respiratory viruses we typically see, and now we're also seeing COVID, which is quite concerning. All right, and Dr. Wilson. I am concerned about what we're seeing happen in the South because there's no reason that that can't happen here. And in fact, we're starting to see it happen here. Uh, Florida has the same vaccination rate as Montana and they're seeing a spike in COVID cases and infections. They're seeing the average age of those in the hospital be much lower this time around than it was previously. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. Those are the groups that aren't vaccinated um, as highly as those older Americans who've already been vaccinated. Um, and there's some question about severity and whether we're seeing higher hospitalization rates. There are some studies coming out that say, yes, um, this seems to be more severe in younger people. So what's being done to treat the children uh, with, uh, with, with the COVID and uh, the Delta variant? So when we have children hospitalized with COVID, um, there are a couple, there are a few different reasons they can be hospitalized actually. Sometimes they have lung disease that's similar to um, the burden of disease that we're seeing in adults. And that's typically in our teenagers. Um, so we're using a lot of the same treatments on teenagers that we would use in adults. Um, for younger children, we're seeing a mixture of just febrile illnesses that require supportive care. Um, there are some medications that we can use, but nothing too atypical. And we're also seeing um, these inflammatory sequelae of COVID. So things that happen sometimes several weeks later, sometimes after you've had a COVID infection that wasn't too severe to begin with, you can come back with um, high fever with high inflammatory markers and some sometimes effects on the heart um, or effects on other systems in the body that go along with that. And that's um, been in the papers as MISC. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that we also see here in Montana. Dr. Leisinger, did you want to add on to that? 
I would say our neonatologists in the NICU are seeing women who have COVID have an increased risk of premature birth. And so they're seeing some babies born um, prematurely with their own sequelae because of being premature, but also some COVID infants as well. So adding to uh, what Dr. Wilson already mentioned. That's actually been a huge issue here, if I can add. I think that, you know, understandably at the start when we didn't have great data on COVID vaccination and pregnancy, um, we were weighing risks and benefits. And because the data wasn't there, people were choosing not to get vaccinated in pregnancy. But we're seeing increasingly, I think also with Delta, that pregnant women are at very high risk. Um, and those risks include, you know, losing a baby or ending up in the ICU yourself. Um, and I've seen this a couple of times, babies having to be delivered early because of mom having severe COVID. Um, and that's why the um, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and now the CDC have come out, now that there's more data saying that these are safe in women who are pregnant, women who are lactating, that, that people need to go and get this because it's a high-risk period of their lives. And those are you know, really significant outcomes for both mom and baby. Most of these cases, moms are, are not vaccinated. In every case I've seen, yes, mom has not been vaccinated. Gosh, and all of this is happening as uh, kids prepare to go back to school and parents are, you know, there's a lot on their minds here. Um, everything from the mass debate, going back to school, is it safe for my child? Uh, and also the different ages here that we're talking with those that are 12 and over that can get vaccinated. What does a parent do? So in pediatrics, prevention is what we talk about all the time. When you come to the doctor, we talk about keeping your water safe so to prevent drownings. We talk about seat belts and car seats. And along with that, we talked about we talk about other preventive measures. And in, in COVID, the two best things we have is get vaccinated if you're able, including all 12-year-olds. I recommend everybody 12 and older get vaccinated. That included my own 12-year-old who was vaccinated as soon as it was available. And I'm anxiously waiting for my 10-year-old to get vaccinated as soon as it's available. And then masking. And we've seen that that can substantially decrease the spread. And that's what we're really worried about when kids right now have had some contact with each other, but when they all go back. Um, and anecdotally, we're seeing some COVID spreading through daycares, which we did not see initially. And so we definitely know that it can spread between kids. And we're quite worried about that when kids go back to school, that we're trying, basically you need to do what you can to protect your kids. And I would add a second thing is that the more adults in a child's life that are vaccinated, the better protection it will be. We do worry about school and kids spreading uh, amongst each other, but we have seen over and over again that the vast majority of kids getting COVID got it from an adult in some other situation outside of school. So if we can vaccinate the adults around them, that will substantially help kids, especially the ones who are too young to be vaccinated. Dr. Wilson, did you wanna to add to that? Sure, I, I think we all recognize that this is a time when people are really anxious and um, understandably, there's a lot of information out there from different sources. There's a lot of misinformation that's been circulating too. And I think that has been something that's naturally been taking advantage of parents' anxieties. Um, but what we know is that um, the vaccine as tested in 12 to 17 year olds is safe. And it's been really effective at keeping kids out of the hospital, keeping them from getting sick. And we know that, you know, having adults vaccinated around kids really makes a huge difference in their ability to transmit the virus. I know there's a lot of information out there saying people can still transmit, but you're much less likely to do so when you're vaccinated. And that's 
that's why, you know, we really lean upon that as our best piece of prevention that we have. Um, there are layers of protection that we can put in place in our schools and in our personal lives. And one of those big tools is, is masking um, and really staying home when you feel sick, even a little bit and getting, getting a test if you can. Well, why the debate over masks? School boards debating and, um, you know, some people protesting it. Um, your thoughts on that? I wish I had a little better explanation, um, and it sort of predated um, all of um, pediatrics. And there's always been that, that it's very difficult when you're talking about people's lives, and it's a disruption. And the mask is a reminder that things are not normal anymore, um, which can be difficult. And and when you're not used to wearing masks, is something in, as physicians we're used to it, and it's fine. But if you've not been doing that, it it it's a constant reminder that things are not normal and we have this desperate feeling we all just want to go back and not have to talk about COVID and not have to do all of these things we're having to do and so i think it's just this constant reminder and it, it um, became a symbol of the COVID that we don't want is here and i wish it wasn't but um i think we try to normalize it as much as possible um, it's going to be beneficial for kids and adults yeah dr wilson yeah, I agree. I, I really wish that um, it hadn't become such a flashpoint for people's emotions because it is a very good measure. It's effective um, at preventing spread, but people want their kids to have the most normal experience possible. And that's where we share that feeling. We really want kids. Kids have suffered. They've borne a lot of um, misfortune throughout this pandemic. We have so many thousands of children who've lost parents. We have kids who haven't been able to hang out with their friends, who've been sent home from school at a moment's notice because of an outbreak that's been spreading through their school. They haven't had that time with their peers, with their extended family, um, and they've suffered a lot of loss. And, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, we're, we're all trying to keep kids safe. And in our opinion, you know, based on the best evidence out there, the best way to keep kids safe is to give them as normal a life as possible. And that includes using all these mitigation measures in schools and masks are, are one of the better ones that we have. So it's all coming from a good place, but I think what we need to do is, you know, look at how we can keep COVID from burdening these children's lives during another school year. And to do that, we need to look at the safety measures that are really tried and true. We know that last year with masks in place, with um, some protocols about um, staying home when you're sick, testing, distancing, cohorting, those layers of protection in schools actually kept transmission from happening within school walls. And that's really important. We know that it could be done last year. If we follow these guidelines, we're not seeing kid to kid spread at school. We're seeing it much more outside of school when we didn't have those safety measures in place. Um, so we need to know um, what works. We need to use what works in order to not disrupt our kids' lives further um, by having COVID, um, you know, really reach into their, their families, you know, all these personal tragedies that we're hearing in our patients are really damaging to them. Would you both like to see more from, from this, from the state, from the higher levels of government, from, from the federal level too? Do you anticipate those changes, maybe another, um, uh, mask mandate for the state? You know, I don't have any insight into, um, plans at the state level. I do think that it's really important that we have consistent messaging from all, all levels of 
of government, all trusted entities that, you know, these are things that work. These are things that we have to do for each other in order to protect those that are too young to be vaccinated, in order to protect those with immune problems who don't have vaccine protection. And I'd love to see some consistency of messaging there because I think, you know, this is well established. These are, you know, tried and true methods to keep the um, SARS-CoV-2 from spreading. And so we just need to be repeating that so people aren't hearing the misinformation and we're drowning that out with trusted voices. Dr. Leisinger, I don't know if you would like to add on to that. No, I would agree. And, and, um, and that's what the pediatricians are most focused on is that our job is to inform um, how to keep your kids safe. And that is what we continue to message all over the state is that we as pediatric experts, this is what we recommend based on the best evidence. And, and um, the more help with that messaging we can get, the better. So as on the vaccine front, uh, what information do you have as to how soon we could see a vaccine for kids? There's been a lot of back and forth on the vaccine and its timeline. Um, the data is going to be submitted quite soon, I understand, for the FDA to review, but we don't have an actual um, date yet for when it would be available. We hope that that will be this fall. Okay. It'll initially start with five and above. Children less than five will likely be later, but we're hopeful. And as I said, I have a 10 year old that I'm very anxious um, to get vaccinated. Um, and I think this has been a good example of how much the, the process works and that although we want that vaccine right now as pediatricians, we want it done safely. And it needs to be done on the safe timeline, which is exactly what it's doing. And so it may be frustratingly so slow for us, but that's just the evidence that they are taking their time analyzing the data to make sure that what comes out is very safe. Once the boards approve it as pediatricians, we have a lot of trust in these boards that are approving these vaccines. There's some very brilliant people on there. And when they say it's okay, that's when we start vaccinating our kids. And so that's what we're waiting for. All right. And uh, getting back to the, um, the, the hospital situation and what you're seeing out there, uh, you know, of course, we're running reports, hospitals are filling up, uh, patients are being redirected, some patients uh, not getting care. Uh, uh, gosh, are you are you seeing that? And uh, what would you like to see change here? Yeah, the Montana Hospital Association today also came out saying that, you know, a lot of Montana hospitals are diverting patients already. We have crowded emergency rooms. Um, we have limited capacity to take patients who are critically ill. And it's just recognizing that, you know, in Montana, we don't have huge reserves. We're not Houston, Texas, that has an enormous medical center with hundreds of ICU beds. That's not our situation. And so it takes, um, you know, relatively few very sick patients to fill our hospitals. What we're seeing now is, you know, we're not near the peak of what's expected here, and we're already seeing hospitals full. And what what that means is that'll impact people who just need regular care, who, you know, maybe broke their leg skiing or, you know, have a burst appendix. If you have to be sent to another state for that kind of care because your hospital's full, that's a risk. And it's, it's not something that anyone wants to experience. But that's what we're seeing in the South. And, you know, unless we take stronger mitigation measures, I think that's what we're expecting to see here. And that makes me very nervous. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to add that... With pediatrics, kids 
are much less likely to need hospitalization in general before COVID. And so we have much fewer pediatric beds than we do adult hospital beds. And so they can fill up much quicker. And with pediatric beds, it's very specific. And so you would not just be sent an hour down the road if your pediatric beds are full. It's very likely you will go to some big center out, out of state. You'll go to Seattle, you'll go to Denver, you won't be sent just an hour down the road. And so we have to be even more careful with pediatric beds and do what we can to prevent them from spilling up. Wow, quite a juggle out there. What more needs to be done to get people vaccinated? I think as much information as we can give people, um, as Dr. Wilson said, we're trying to drown out a lot of misinformation. And I think that a lot of people have gained a lot of their information from your physician. Previously, that's where you went to get your medicines and get your vaccines and all of your um, basic preventative medicine was done at your physicians. And when this initially rolled out, most adults were not receiving it directly from their physician. And so I think there was this um, space for the information to be filled in um, in not reliable sources. And so if we can keep talking that all, I don't think you necessarily need to consult with a physician for every person, but every physician would recommend this, especially in pediatrics, we recommend it. We're very comfortable with vaccines. And that's what we're just trying to get the message out is that these are safe and effective vaccines and they need to be given to help us get through this. I completely agree. And I would add that the Delta variant um, appears to be two to three times more transmissible. And so I think when we got to a good place in the spring, um, we were starting to see case rates fall with the previous variant, with the alpha variant that we were dealing with then. Um, I think a lot of people sat back and said, you know, I think we're almost done with this. I, we were so excited to be done with this. I, you know, want to be done as much as anyone else. Um, but at that point, you know, when we're starting to see this new variant emerge, because, you know, as we have more and more people, um, you know, getting COVID and being unvaccinated, that's where, that's an environment in which you see variants start to emerge if we're, if we're not keeping this under control. So when Delta emerged, you know, we see that we're going to need better mitigation measures. We're going to need higher vaccination rates. We're going to need people to pay attention. And I think that, you know, hopefully Montanans can see that where we're headed is, is a difficult place. And we each need to do our part to keep our community and our hospitals from being overwhelmed, to keep our neighbors safe. And I do, I grew up here and I feel like Montana has that attitude. You know, we are community minded. And if we can see that right now is the time where we really need to step up and keep each other safe and keep our hospital systems from being overwhelmed and allow our kids to go back to school and stay there without schools having to close down on quarantine, this is the time to go out and get a vaccine, to put your mask on when you're in an indoor public setting and to pay attention, not to go to high risk gatherings when you have a lot of people in an indoor setting in particular. Um, so I, I hope that our fellow Montanans can see this and step up. And we have a long ways to go with this, don't we? Um, anything that you would uh, like to bring up that I've missed? Dr. Leisinger? We have very consistent messaging um, and our message is simple. So I think we've covered what we wanted to accomplish is that vaccinate and take those mitigation measures until everybody can be vaccinated. Okay. Dr. Wilson? 
Sure. I um, know a lot of us are looking out for our kids throughout this pandemic, and I think we need to um, extend that to supporting your schools and taking the measures that they need to take to stay in session, to stay in person, so that our kids' school year isn't disrupted again by this virus. And that means supporting them in following recommendations. Pretty much every physician organization, every medical organization across the country is saying, um, which is to, to have kids mask in schools while we have areas of high transmission, which Montana has. All right. Any final tips that you would like to share with our listeners or viewers, um, especially parents out there? I think as we go into this school, in addition to the vaccination and the masking we talked about, um, just being extra cautious about illness. And we've all been guilty of sending our kids to school when they're just a little bit sick because we got to go to work. And that is not a healthy situation, especially in COVID. Um, because one, it's an easy way to spread COVID. My daughter had COVID in the fall and she had a sore throat. And most days I probably would have told her to take a drink of water and you'll be fine. And thankfully we did not and got her tested. Um, and so it can, in COVID, although some children do have serious illness, a lot have very minor illness that they could then spread to somebody else and get somebody else very sick. And so we have to be very careful about that. And then in addition, there's a lot more respiratory illnesses going around. And if we, one, we want to try to keep those kids from getting sick and keeping them out of the hospital. And two, for every kid that gets a runny nose and a cough that you then spread throughout the school, they have to stay home, miss work and get tested. And so if we can just stay home with even minor illnesses, being very careful about what you thought was maybe just a sinus infection, just the smoke, just allergies. Um, if your children is, are not feeling well, keep them home. Good advice there, Dr. Wilson. I just want to add that for parents, this is hard. Um, it's difficult to navigate this. It's difficult to navigate all of the information and all of the opposing viewpoints. And, you know, just have some grace for yourself, for your children, support your family, support your friends. This, you know, is something that is affecting all of us. It's, it's a difficult thing. Um, and for our kids to go back to school, to know that they can speak with their parents, that they have peers that are supportive, that makes all the difference. So um, have some grace for yourselves and for your children. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for doing this. And uh, um, maybe in a month or two, we could revisit and um, uh, talk about what's happening at that time, too. I would love that. We'd be happy to. Thank you. Okay.